0: Can I start eating? Uh, You you can do whatever you want. (laughs) I've got tacos heating up the windshield right now. Uh, Look at that. That's David Himmel over there. Hi there. Hi. I'm James Van Oslo. This is Carcon Carne. We're in front of, uh, what's the name of this place? Turbo Tacos. Turbo Taco. Fast Tacos. Really, it was Fast Tacos. We got our food really quick. It was, yeah. Uh, Carcon Carne is presented by the Audubon Mazda of Evanston. Right now, as we're recording Carcon Carne, as we're eating tacos, we are sitting in a brand new Mazda CX-9 from the Autobarn Mazda of Evanston. I came to learn as we ordered tacos that are quickly mm-hmm. that you got your last car from the Autobarn Mazda of Evanston. You're a customer. I did. Yeah. Like almost a year ago to the day. What did you get? We got a, a Mazda CX-5. Gorgeous car. I, re- I recorded a podcast in a CX-5 once.
1: Yeah. It's a great car and uh, it's it's a great sounding car. Cuz oh I I listened to that God. episode. So, you know, uh, but no, we love our car. We traded in my wife's, it was like a 2005 Chevy Equinox.
0: Uh, so yes, the Autobahn Mazda of Evanston is the proud sponsor of Carcon Carne. That's David Himmel. He's a writer. Are you ready to begin? You're already, yes. you're already there. Yeah, you're, I'm here. You're so far down the road. I'm hungry, man. I told you. I've been waiting to eat all day. It's
1: Carcon
0: Carne. Let's eat in this car.
1: It's Carcon Carne.
0: So I go to a lot of taquerias, and tacos as a rule, I, I kind of I've resigned myself to a two ninety nine taco as a base price. Mm-hmm. Tacos are a buck and a half here. It's great, and well, it's, it tastes
1: like an eighty dollar taco. This no, we, is the there's worst, no such thing <laughs> as an eighty
0: dollar taco. Well, I'm, you know,
1: in perspective.
0: I, so I'm concerned, but also intrigued. Uh, I got a pastor, I got a pollo, I got a chorizo. You got a pastor, or you got two pastores? I got two asades or two mm-hmm. asadas and a pastor. And these are traditional Mexican tacos. Traditional street tacos, yep. Yep, tiny. you got the two corn tortillas. Uh, I don't want to hold it up too long because it's so hot to the touch. And I believe I'm about to have the pollo, which is chicken, David.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. I've heard that. Uh-huh. I learned that from Breaking Bad. <laughs> the pollo means chicken. Mm-hmm. Most of the things I know in my, in my life at this point,
0: um, I learned from Breaking Bad. Here's the thing. I don't watch much TV, which is to say I don't watch any TV. Mm-hmm. That's one of those shows I happily watched start to finish. Mm -hmm. Couldn't get enough of it. Yeah, it's a great show. And by my estimation, there was only one bad episode. Although some people would disagree with me on that.
1: What's the one bad episode?
0: Uh, Stuck in the same room trying to kill a fly the entire episode. Oh,
1: that's one of the best episodes.
0: See, people disagree.
1: That is a study in character, man. Mm. But yeah, there's not a lot of gore or murder. It's just Walter White kind of losing his mind. It didn't advance the plot of the show. But it advanced the character or, or it reconfirmed the character
0: There you go uh, I'm enjoying an horchata This pollo taco is actually really good Yeah, I think this is the, the past store that I'm eating here And it's really good We got out of here for the two of us for 15 bucks Yeah, <laughs> right? Not a bad night out No So, uh, let's see David Michael says the fly episode is terrible Filler David Michael, you get me No, David Michael, you misunderstand Watch it again yeah. Watch it again. But, you know, everybody has to each their own. Yeah, I mean, that is a polarizing episode for sure. Yeah. So the reason why I have you here, you're an author. hmm You published a book called The Last DJ. Uh, Tyler Wildy from Epic Deli and McHenry says, hey, guys. Hey, Tyler. You wrote a book called The Last DJ. You were a disc jockey, a radio disc jockey, an old-fashioned radio DJ yeah. in Las Vegas. Yeah. And reading this book, I found it interesting on a multitude of levels, not exclusively because I was a radio DJ or am a radio DJ, but you still have that boundless enthusiasm for the craft of DJing, for the art of radio, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I've worked with so many people through the years, David. People in radio, they, they get chewed up, spit out, and they just turn bitter and hard and resentful. I remember taking a class at Columbia College when I was wanting to get into radio, and one of the teachers said, if you want to go, to, go into radio... Drop out now. Forget it. Just change, don't <laughs> change career paths. But although, go into TV if you want to go into radio right. well, it was that guy who made me think. Oh, screw you! I'm going to figure this out. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to listen to you. But you still have that enthusiasm. So much of the reason why comes off the pages in this book. But to summarize your relationship with radio, or how would you summarize your relationship with radio? It was it was fast and furious. Um, I think
1: that the reason that I'm, I'm still have that boundless enthusiasm is because I, I, I wasn't there long enough to get chewed up too hard and spit out too far.
0: You didn't have an unhappy ending.
1: Well, I mean, I, sort of, because <laughs> I didn't want to leave. But mm-hmm. it was, you know, and I talk about this in the book that the the opportunities wore out. Like, there's three things you need to have a, for a career to work. You need opportunity, education, and money. And if you can't have all three, you need a lot of the two. Mm-hmm. And for me and radio, when I got out, I had, all three had just run dry. Yeah. And I was getting frustrated and I needed to make a move. And I left and I bawled my eyes out the day that I left. I mean, I I wept like a baby. Like
0: it was honorably pathetic. Well, and you grew up in the area here.
1: South suburbs. yeah, South suburbs. Mm -hmm.
0: So you're in Vegas. You're thinking I made it. Here I am. I'm in another city and I'm able to do this. What was it like when you got promoted to being on the air?
1: It was... It was... I, I assume like like what being knighted would be. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly
0: what being knighted entails. And but this was live radio too, right? A little bit. Well, do you yeah. remember what it was like <laughs> to put on your headphones for the first time and hear your voice through them? Incredible.
1: I mean, I just, I just got chills even thinking
0: about it. Really? Yeah, I mean, there's...
1: And it wasn't even so much hearing myself just the thrill of you know the the song is either beginning or it's ending or you're coming out of a break or into a break and it's everything sounds different in the headphones oh yeah you know it's it's thicker it's louder and then you come in and you're just you're I couldn't every time I open the mic and put those headphones on I couldn't help but think about the people listening and when I would listen what I would think what I was doing when I was hearing the jock or the music or you know whatever it was and to know that I was giving that to somebody else—you really thought about that,
0: yeah? See, I, I always thought Every that time. was that was toxic to do. Like, I, I never think about who's listening when I'm. Oh yeah, I mean that's what I was trained to do. Is you talk to the listener as an
1: individual. Well, yeah, absolutely, and create something for them. And I wasn't doing, you know, um, theater radio. Yeah, you know, it was. I mean, I was jocking an oldie show. Right. Um, and at times I was doing traffic reporting. You know, but I, I think that you know. Knowing that people were listening for a reason—they wanted to hear a great song, they wanted to hear an interesting, you know, piece of trivia or some news—they were trying to win a, you know, tickets to a show, right. Or a dinner, or they were trying to figure out the best way to get to work if it was traffic. That's kind of important, and I don't mean to say like I was the most important person and they'd be lost without me, but you know, there's a level
0: of—it's of responsibility. It
1: would, it, yeah, yeah, it's a responsibility.
0: I, I get that. Uh, the book is The Last DJ, and you can get it on Amazon right now. Forget the dangers of working in radio. Forget the the issues and the, the risk of taking on a career in radio. You went as far as to have an office romance, which to me is <laughs> way more lethal. Yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> I mean, let's call it what it is. It, it was it
1: was. Um, I mean, it was really fun and wild for a moment there, um, but then it just it got real toxic because working with somebody. And it, when we started, I was her underling. So she was my boss, which just, you know, yeah. But, you know, radio, it, it, it's this, it, it allows for that kind of insanity in some ways. What years are we talking about when you were in Vegas? 2000. Well, I was in Vegas for a decade. I went out there for college.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I was in radio from 2000 to 2006. Okay. So just so, a little more than six years.
0: I remember back in the 1990s working at Q101 here in Chicago. It was such a big deal that suddenly we were taking money from strip clubs. Strip, yeah. Strip club advertisers. <laughs> and suddenly our jocks were doing appearances at, like, Black Gentlemen's Gentleman's Club. <laughs> that, to me, is nothing compared to the fact that you were working on promotions with the, the area brothel. Yep. Or an area brothel, not yep. in Vegas proper. Yeah, because uh, prostitution is illegal in Clark
1: County. Right. But, yeah, just over the hump and perump. Um, Over the what? Well, Pahrump is like the next town over. Okay, the Hump and... It's it's in Nye County, and it's just like... It's a little hill, so they call it it the Hump and Pahrump.
0: Appropriate. Okay. Uh,
1: So, So yeah, I mean, that was... I don't remember if we had a lot of um, brothel advertisements, but, yeah, I mean, I did a promotion with one of the brothels, and we were...
0: You you had to find some women for Chuck Berry, was it?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and Chuck Berry's writer, uh, he requested to big breasted blonde women and I had to go and get two big breasted blonde women. My program director at the time asked me, do you know any any of your college friends fit the description? And well, yeah but I'm not going to do that to them. <laughs> but you want them to remain friends. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I got the company credit card and <laughs> oh drove God. out and, and booked them and you know, it's like it was like ordering a pizza.
0: You know. <laughs> so what did it cost to procure a couple of writer girls? That
1: I don't remember. I do not remember that.
0: You know, we live in a day and age where expenses for radio companies prohibit anything. Like, if you take a client out, there can't be booze on the bill. Oh, it was nothing like that when I was there. That's what I'm saying. This is such a different... Like, the the, the mere hint of impropriety of having alcohol is dangerous. You're putting hookers on the bill. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: I mean, the the book opens with my first day there. Everybody's (laughs) walking around drinking beer.
0: All right. Matthew Habib. Uh, I tuned in and get strippers and brothels this is inappropriate and tell me more thanks for tuning in really uh, yeah no that, that's great you've you found the right place timing is everything yeah uh, the book that's David Himmel, Matthew, uh, Hi, Matthew. The, the book is the last DJ tell me about tell me about working in the radio there tell me about live from Las Vegas that was yeah live the, from Las Vegas point. yeah it was a
1: uh, a nationally syndicated oldie show that was broadcasting from the top of the stratosphere there was this Beautiful radio booth at the top of the Stratosphere. And I assume it's... I haven't been back there, but I assume it's still there. Um, and it was a NASA syndicated Oldies show that we did live. And what's great about Las Vegas is that a lot of oldies acts come through. Mm-hmm. So basically every oldies act that came through, we would book them to come up to the Stratosphere and do an interview and maybe do a performance in there um, or just chat. And the, the studio was right there in the indoor observation deck. And had these big, thick windows... So people would walk by, and they were like, um, you know, theater lights, and I mean, it was it was a, a show. It was you know, um, and yeah, I got to meet all these great, you know, Rich Little and the Kingsmen. And this might mean nothing to some of our FaceTime live viewers and listeners of the podcast, but I mean, these were people at the beginnings of rock and roll.
0: Yeah, these. I mean, the Kingsmen. I mean, that's the beginning of garage rock, right? Yeah, there. yeah. Um,
1: we never had Paul McCartney up there, but you know, I mean, we got the Righteous Brothers, and I mean, I mean, just name anybody—they were probably yeah. there, right? Um, and when I first started up there, I was the—I was just an intern, so I was like helping just corral the the celebrities, um, running get beer or soft pretzels sure. for the jock, um, and then I moved into board operating, so I was then producing the show. Um, but it was great. I mean, my job was to go to the top of the Stratosphere, which is the tallest building west of the Mississippi. And and do radio and hang yeah. out with with you know celebrities and rock legends and
0: it, I, I totally get it I mean I remember when I was an intern and I would be the guy who'd have to collect liners from visiting artists so yeah. yep yeah we did a lot of that yep. yeah so Radiohead came through on the Pablo Honey tour and I was in a studio with them recording hi this is Radiohead you're listening to right. you know whoever came through and I remember going to Metro when Weezer put out the Blue album and I had to meet them backstage to get them to record liners there Wow! Yeah. and looking back at that I'm like holy crap I got to do that and yeah. I remember it being really thrilling then and I look back now not a bad way to, that way to spend a day yeah,
1: yeah. I mean it's, it's great like it was and I wasn't making a lot of money as yeah. an intern or even as a <laughs> as a, a full blown jock but man it was great like that was so you know those three things you know opportunity education and money I was getting education and opportunity right. and it was, It was. and I was 20 years old when I started. Yeah, so the world, you know, I mean... The world is my oyster. Absolutely. And, and what was so cool about working at the Stratosphere, too, is that, you know, the, the visuals are fantastic. Sure. You know, and you see the entire Las Vegas Valley and then beyond. You right. know, so you're thinking, again, thinking about the listener, like, people in Ohio and Milwaukee are hearing this, and Los Angeles and Portland and... Uh, I don't think it was in Chicago, but um,
0: in fact, I know it wasn't because my parents never heard of me. They didn't believe that I was doing this. Um, see, my parents <laughs> heard me on the radio, and I don't think they understood what I did for a living.
1: I don't think my parents have ever quite understood what I did for a living. Uh, until they would come and visit, and I would bring them up there um, and I'd have them in the, the radio booth and doing the show. And uh, that was cool for them. That yeah. was cool for them to see. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just a... Like, every day at work was... Was exciting and wild, and it never felt like work. Yeah. Like, I, I never get it. called in, you know, or like, oh, I have to get up and go do, I have to get up and go do radio. Yeah. You know, I mean, there were times when, um, uh, it was after Live from Las Vegas went away, and I was working as a full time jock and traffic reporter. And the, the studio at the Stratosphere had been split in half into two traffic, uh, two smaller studios. So we would rent one of them out to shows that wanted to come and broadcast from Las Vegas. So we had shows from, London coming in. We had Steve Harvey's show yeah. came in a couple times, and I worked with Steve Harvey and his people a few times. And you know, I'd get up at like two in the morning because the time difference, and I, oh, yeah. you know, and I'd, I'd have these insanely long days, and I was exhausted and delusional. But it was it was great. It was such a
0: great way to make a measly living. Uh, the book is the last DJ. Carcon Carne is presented by the Autobarn Mazda of Evanston. Uh, if you're, we are in a Mazda CX nine. It's so comfortable. It's and a great car. It, yeah. See, this is this is the pro tip. As I'm doing this stuff, eat your food. Okay. And uh, we're going to kill the Facebook Live in a second because I am low on battery. We're totally on borrowed time, and I can tell because the Mazda CX-9 has a display. Red is bad, right? Red is bad. Red is bad Mm -hmm. for the battery. Yeah, that means stop Facebook Live. (laughs) That means stop Facebook Live. Yeah, Um,
1: but before we do, you can watch me chew with my mouth closed, so you're welcome.
0: You're welcome. All right, so tell me about the the listener. You dated a listener. It was a blind date. It It went against... Everything you, you knew to be... Uh, yeah, everything I knew, everything I was taught. Um, <laughs>
1: and it wasn't really dating. It was this blind date. Yeah, yeah. And it started... I w- her friend was calling the studio, ca- calling the traffic studio when I was up there, and telling me about her friend. She thought I was cute because my picture was on, of course. on the website. And she liked my voice and thought I was funny and all these other flattering things that, you know, you get your ego stroked and it's like, mm-hmm. all right. Mm-hmm. But I knew better. And I wasn't a bit. I wasn't big on dating anyway, and I didn't. wasn't even you know, I was less interested in blind dates. But I was going through the breakup, or like it was the back end of the breakup with the the, mm-hmm. the workplace girlfriend. Um, and I figured, now eh, what the hell? Mm-hmm. So we met up, and the, the, the girl herself. She eventually ended up calling, and we talked a bit. And I was like, yeah, she sounds like fun. Okay, she sounds cute. Her friend described her as cute. Okay, fine. Let's, let's give it a go and see what happens. And she was not at all, <laughs> physically speaking, she was not at all what had been described, which, okay, fine. Typical blind date. Yeah. Um, but I'm here. She's here. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just, it was weird. I think that she was um, starstruck. Uh, cause she just was kind of like looking at me with this wonder and she didn't really add much to the conversation and she just kept talking about how cool it was that I was on the radio and she couldn't believe she was on a date with Dr. Dave Maxwell. And it was just like, uh, you know, I forgot to mention that you're Dr. Dave. I am Dr. Dave. Yeah. That was my, that was my radio name. Um, and yeah, it just, it ended, it ended strangely. Um, cause I got really drunk, uh, to make it better.
0: That's what you do on a blind date. Yeah, uh-huh.
1: and we ended up back at my place. I'll, despite my efforts not to get there, um, I was too drunk to... she was driving me home, and I was too uh-huh. drunk to tell her how to get to my house because uh, I just I was like I was just out of my mind. Uh huh. And and then I was like I had these moments of clarity. It was like all right, just have her drop you off, walk home. She'll never know where you live. You'll be safe. Just go uh-huh. home, go to sleep, and forget the whole thing happened. But that didn't happen, and. We spent the night together. I wake up at like 2 in the afternoon and she's not there. And I'm like, oh, man, my head hurts. My body hurts. I'm regretting everything. But she's not here. That's that's good. Okay. And I get up and I hear the TV on downstairs. I'm like, oh, hmm. must have left the TV on. I don't remember watching TV with her. But uh-huh. okay. So I walk downstairs to go turn the TV off or crash on the couch and watch whatever uh-huh. was on because I was dying. And she's there. Of course. And she said something like, oh, Hello, sleepyhead, or something playful and girlfriendy, and I just—I was like, "What are you doing here?" I—I I I would not accept that she was still in my house, and she's like, "Well, I just had to give you right home." I'm like, "You're back to your car." I said, "You don't. I have friends I can call. <laughs> you need to go." Um, and this went back and forth, and it was just—it was odd. And I was, went up back into my room to get changed. She was going to drive me back to my car, and. She came in and walked in on me as I was buck naked again, getting dressed. And she's like, oh, round two or something like that. And I was like, no, 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 you need to get out now. I'm going to get dressed, and then we will go, and this will all be over. And I don't think I was a jerk. I'm sure I probably was in some ways, but... Hearing the story, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to be, but why are you still in my house? Uh Uh-huh. You know, like, did she eat my food? And but my big concern was, she now knows where I live, and I'm thinking about all the things that I've been told. These, you know, the other older jocks have told me these horror stories yeah. of dating listeners and how they can get crazy. And um, but that's the, the the risk you take with any blind date. Uh, th- you know. That's
0: just it. I mean, that's not exclusive to this
1: industry, right? But I'm thinking misery. You know, like she's going to uh, come back to my house and Cappy tie niece, me up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and thankfully, she never did. Um, she kept calling the studio when she knew I was on air. Um, and I just had to go, I would busy the phones, you know, Uh
0: basically you lock them out. out. Yeah.
1: And I had to stop taking calls for like, I don't know, a month or so. And she eventually stopped calling and, and that was the end of that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was real
0: touch and go real risky there for, for a little bit. So that story is one of many in the last DJ, which it's a love letter to radio. It's, 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 I related to so much of it, but I think for anyone on the outside, I, I have said this before about my own book. Not enough has been written about the inner workings of radio, mm-hmm. about the behind-the-scenes perspective, especially in the era you were in. Uh, I, I think this is a fascinating glimpse into how this world operates. Yeah. And, I mean, it is still show business. It is, yeah. So the book, again, The Last DJ, do you have another book in you? I've
1: got a lot of books in me,
0: yeah. Um <laughs> uh, like, what, just about radio? No, just okay. in general, like, uh, on the way, on the horizon. This is my spin forward as we wrap yeah. things up.
1: Um, well, I should first say, you know, shameless uh, or shameful promotion, shelf promotion. Um, this is my second book. My first book uh, is called The Camp Story. It's written about, it's a loose memoir history about growing up at summer camp in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I've got a couple of books, the two that I'm playing around with right now. One of them... Uh, the working title is not a good working title now that i'm actually living it but it's (laughs) the working title is fun bags to feed bags (laughs) and it's about sold um, yeah (laughs) it's every every guy that i tell that they're like oh my god i want to read that but the girls you know the women i talk to they're like "Eh, yeah maybe not Uh but it's about um having a child and going through that experience with my wife but as i've gone through it i realized that Fun bags to Feed Bags is probably a little insulting and doesn't Mm -hmm. encompass the whole thing because it's so much more than just boobs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I thought of this title way before I was married, even knew my wife was even dating anybody and kids were, you know, even an idea. Um, It's a working title. Yeah, working title. Um, And then the other one is something I want to play around with is I want to write a story, a book about the Chicago Tavern. Like Mm. not, it's not a place, not the Chicago Tavern on Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. but like, the Chicago Tavern um, bars that exist. I don't think they exist in the same way anywhere else.
0: No, I totally agree, but they do in Chicago. That's why whenever I go like driving through River North on a Saturday night, like two in the morning, and see people waiting outside a velvet rope to get in, I don't understand that Chicago because that to me is right. so not Chicago. yeah, this is a tavern city,
1: yeah, yeah, and i've I've always I, the darker the bar. The gr- grimier Oh yeah The better That's my Like I like the street tacos And I like You know Room temperature old style <laughs> You know And I, I like the union guys down the, the regulars down right. At the end of the bar That you know Are paying two bucks You know For the Miller Lite Or whatever it is And maybe they've got like a You know 20 year old bag of Cheetos That's the food that they have You know To, to line the stomach And soak up the booze um, So I've been playing with this idea It's a fairly new idea And now that I've said it In public It's you know It's on record exactly, now yeah. I guess I have to do it so I can't back out of it. Um, so I'm playing with that whether it's, you know, a, a non-fiction historical take or if, if I fictionalize it but based on the reality of the Chicago Tavern and the people that have lived that because I think that the Chicago Tavern doesn't exist the way that it used to. You know, because the, the working man, the middle class, mm-hmm. which were like the champions of, of the Tavern, have gone away a bit. A little bit. Um, you know, and... Velvet ropes are the thing to be,
0: and big sports bars, and big TVs, and that's... I don't know. I think if you drive through Oak Lawn, you can find a couple taverns. I mean,
1: they're there. Yeah. yeah they're, I mean, there's some... There's. I mean, that's why I love living in Wicker Park, because there's still some oh, around yeah.
0: there. Um, I mean, the Jeffrey Dahmer Tavern is uh, right over on, was it, Clark and Belmont. I don't know the Jeffrey Dahmer Tavern. Uh, tavern he used to hang out at. Really? Uh-huh. Well, I'll have to go... That'll be I forgot the, the name of it. It's, it's a creepy as hell dive bar. Where is it at? Clark and Belmont. Like, uh, east side of Clark Street. Okay. I'll, I'll, see, I'll have to go. check that
1: out. Yeah. Um, there's one in the neighborhood in Wicker Park or Bucktown uh, called Corner Bar, mm-hmm. um, which is a dog-friendly bar, which is, you know, dog-friendly taverns are the best kind of taverns in the world. Without a opinion. doubt. Um, yeah, and the beer's cheap and the bartenders are friendly and everybody just, like, you're here to, to drink and community. hang out. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's, yeah, that, and, you know, I've got a other thing. But those are the two that I'm, you know, scribbling down ideas and trying to map my way through them at the moment love it so we'll keep
0: our eye on you I appreciate that yeah. thank you uh, in the meantime to catch up get the last DJ it's on Amazon I hope you had fun I had a blast this is great and, and I've been making you talk so you haven't really had your
1: tacos yet I'm gonna You're... dive in like a like a savage okay good once we wrap up it, yeah i you should I'm also being careful because this is a loner thank you for respecting the loner. so I want to be careful plus and because I have a Mazda CX-5 from the auto in Evanston yes um, my wife and I were just talking about this the other day that, you know, the kid is getting to the point where he can eat. Che- well, he's not supposed to eat Cheerios unless he's sitting at his high chair. Yeah, but okay. I had him with his cup <laughs> of Cheerios. She's like, he can't eat in the car like that. And that's not what my wife sounds like. And I'm Katie, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, I said, so when, when can he eat in the car? She goes, I don't really want him to eat in the car. Like I want to rule no eating in the car. And I well, said, you know luck. what? I love you. That's a great idea. Let's do that. So. I feel kind of bad for eating in the car in general, but I'm covered in napkins. I'm being very careful. Are... I have respect, respect
0: for the clean car. Thank you. Uh, this was fun. Thank you for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Uh, again, the uh, the the Carquin Carning. Carquin Carney is presented by the Audubon Mazda of Evanson. Go there, take a test drive, drive a CX-9 like this handsome vehicle we're in right now.